Welcome back to Plenary Session. This is the podcast at the intersection of medicine, oncology, and health policy. Today we're back with Code Break 200. It's been published in The Lancet. People are praising it. Somebody said, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, it turns out it's all getting thrown out. This is a god-awful study. It's piss poor. It's derelict. It's horrific. I've seen so many problems in studies. It's rare that you get them all lined up at once. Code Break 200. We're going to break it down. I don't know how long this video is. It's probably going to be pretty long because I found so much junk in this study. And by the end of it, I think you will feel like me that this represents the fall of oncology. I mean, it's emblematic of how our profession is rotting. We're rotting from the inside. We're debuting drugs that cost $15,000 per month, and we don't have any good data for what we're doing. We're running horrific trials that squander the participation of patients. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me get into this one step at a time. So Toracib versus Docetaxel, second line and beyond non-small cell lung cancer with KRAS G12C. You know it. I, I hope that we know a lot of things that KRAS G12C is, tends to be mutually exclusive with other driving mutations. I hope we know that. I hope we know that this is one of the few that's already secured a ladder line approval. This is the randomized confirmatory trial to code break 100 where they had some response rate. This is an important study. We talked about it in press release. I've already published an article on it, but yet the saga continues. So let's get into it. Number one, I was looking for an advertisement to show what Sotorosib does. And I didn't have to look far because the supplementary appendix for this manuscript contains this advertisement. It contains this ridiculous cartoon that typically is not found in supplementary appendices. Get the cartoons out of this, okay? This is ridiculous. You have to decide, is this a medical journal or is this an advertisement? And if it's a medical journal, then I don't think you should be putting this kind of trash in the supplement. But anyway, this is a ridiculous cartoon of what it does. Look at the colors. I found some other ones that were even more colorful, of course. Only the company can pay for the graphic designer. You don't get this level of quality on Plenary Session because we operate on a shoestring budget. We used to have a Patreon, but most of you have left that to go to and follow my Substack. That's fine. I applaud that decision. Then I Prasad's observations and thoughts. All right. Now, this drug. Amgen said it had a list price of 17900 a month. I, in our article, we, co we quote, I think, a Red Book price of like $15,000 a month. It's not cheap. I mean, we have to acknowledge this is a very costly, costly drug product. It costs as much as good drugs, but it ain't a good drug as we're about to find out. And it's going to bankrupt society. If we keep taking marginal drugs and bringing them to the market at this cost, we are bankrupting society. We are making a trade-off every day. We're paying for this kind of horse shit. We're not paying for proper kids' nutrition, prenatal care, blood pressure control. We're not paying for things a sensible society would pay for. This is going to be the downfall of our GDP. We keep spending 20% GDP on drugs like this. Abject failure. Horrific price. The price should be slashed in half when they saw how terrible the results are in a terrible study. Here's the PFS benefit. Progression-free survival, which is a composite time to have an endpoint. It's the time until one of four things happen. What are those four things? What's the worst one? Patient dies. What's the second worst one? I would say arguably new lesions on scan. What's the third worst one? The lesions, well, the, the, the lesions get bigger, 120% bigger than when they started. And the last outcome is they get bigger, 120% bigger than the smallest they ever were. So there's a response along the way. Those are the four paths of PFS. It's a time to that. Why does it have a stair-step appearance? Because the scans occur at 
protocol specified intervals. So it has that sort of classic binning of the, of the PFS curve and the stair step. What's the absolute PFS benefit? It is 1.1 months. Pitiful, abysmal, just a, just total failure. Barely can improve PFS over docetaxel. Old grandpa's chemotherapy. I mean, just antiquated drug. You can barely budge PFS. And then, as we're going to see, somebody has the audacity to point some other values on this. I view this as like, I mean, it almost should be a failure because you fail to meet the clinically meaningful threshold of both ASCO and ESMO. So you should go back to the drawing board. You have failed. This is not even the endpoints that matter. This is progression-free survival, which is a surrogate time to event composite outcome. Now let's look at another one. This is the waterfall plot. So these are among the people who can be assessed for response. There's a little bit of missing data here we're going to learn along the way. And what you see, they keep talking about, well, tumor shrinkage happens more and our responses are a little deeper than Taxol. Look at the left side of the waterfall plot, shall we? Let's look at the side you don't draw any attention to in your manuscript. Oh my God. For some people, the absolute best response is florid progression. There are definitely people who, because they're taking Satorosib, their lives are being shortened. They're dying because docetaxel, even the worst performers still have some control. Here, the worst performers have explosive disease. I mean, it's like, it must not even be binding. You know, it must be like giving them sugar water. I mean, I don't think it's actually accelerating growth. That would be ridiculous. But I think like for some people, it's like giving them salt water. At least docetaxel is doing something in everybody. Okay. I actually think, you know, this kind of cuts the other way. We're going to get into the real endpoint. This is the only endpoint that matters. How long do you live? How long do you live? You don't need to use a surrogate endpoint PFS when you can readily measure the endpoint people care about. The median is already being reached in both arms. What justifies the use of a surrogate if you don't save time? Here you're measuring the endpoint that directly matters to people, how long they live. And what do you find? Lo and behold, no difference, no benefit. Hazard ratios above one. Uh-oh, that doesn't look good. This doesn't look good for you. Your $15,000 a month drug, it can't even make people live longer. Feel You should feel ashamed. You're trying to sell a drug for $15,000. You're not making people live longer. The, the right answer is shame. We should be sick to our stomachs that it's all the money we've thrown at RAS. And we threw a lot of money at RAS because Varmus was his pet project. Because of course, he, that's his claim to fame. And he was the NCI director. He threw so much money at RAS. Companies threw so much money at RAS. And this is the best you can do. This is pitiful. Go back to the drawing board. Society cannot afford this drug. And it's not even clear that people are better off. And I'm going to prove to you by the end of this, this trial is even worse than what I'm saying. It's an abysmal trial. It should have been aborted midstream because they had already seen that one endpoint was met that showed that it was going to be a totally useless study. This is bad, 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 bad. Here's how one of the authors talks about it. Out now in the Lancet today, Satorosib significantly increased PFS, hazard ratio 0.66. He didn't mention one month and had a more favorable safety profile. I don't think that's going to be true. We're going to get to that. Compared with docetaxel in patients with pretreated advanced non-small cell cancer with KRS G12C. And he shows, he shows that PFS curve. I wish he should put the OS curve. Somebody says... I don't know who this is, Joe Nash. Not sure if I would call a 1.1 month significant PFS. Yeah, of course, that's called common sense. I mean, obviously it's not significant. It's a measly improvement in a trivial surrogate endpoint. Where is the OS data? And the answer is it's no. I don't think we need to wait too long to get OS data on a trial with a PFS of 5.5 months. Joe Nash is right. I don't know who Joe Nash is, but this guy knows a lot. So Torosib is the first step in the right direction, not the best step at this time. It's not even a step. I mean, it's literally maybe tripping on your shoelaces while you're standing still. 
this guy's my interpretation hazard ratio 0.66 better reflects the effect than mean in pfs which is a point in time satorcept doing slightly weaker than in phase two that's true all the outcomes are worse and dose attacks will better than expected post io effect question mark not powerful first of all this is not to be better it's not better than expected that that's okay uh, all right this is a ridiculous thing to say not powered for os uh, well, you poisoned that along the way. Biomarkers and combo are probably the future, but this is the first step. No, it's not. One, hazard ratio is not a metric that matters to people. Uh, the ratio of the instantaneous hazard rate in one arm versus the other arm, which is actually not even the relative risk, uh, nor is it a point in time. At least the median PFS is a landmark point in time. You could even talk about the two-year survival or the one-year survival, but it's all superimposable. The hazard ratio is a unitless, dimensionless concept that has no clear English translation and so to you to think that that's the most meaningful value shows you know nothing about trials. You know nothing about trials if you think that's the most meaningful value. It's a useless value, and it tells you nothing. And highlighting this, when you have such an abysmal result, all this spending, $15,000 a month, and you can, can't even get an OS victory over docetaxel? What are you doing? Quit right, quit right now. Throw this drug away and get back to the lab and stum up with some better ways to hit RAS, if you think RAS is going to be important. He's backed up a new option for advanced... KRAS G12C, a new breach in the wall of the poor prognostic lung cancer. How are you breaching the wall? The wall is OS. It's the same wall. You not even put a dent in it. You sneezed on the wall. Okay, you didn't breach anything. It's ridiculous. Combo trials. Your combo trials are going to suffer from toxicity. It's a glimpse of hope. What? What glimpse of hope? They don't live any longer. Are we kidding ourselves? You don't need PFS as the primary endpoint. OS should be the endpoint. You've already reached the median. In the midst of negative studies, this is a negative study. This is one more negative study because RAS is probably hard to drug and maybe it's more complicated than you think. Maybe we should consider combined therapy. It's as if they're all on the same script. It feels that way at times. This is an astute point. Better PFS, but what about OS? What about the cost? No gain in OS, but not powered for it. Well, you guys poison that along the way. We'll come to that. Regarding the cost, clearly more expensive than chemo, but oral treatment without hospitalization and less toxicity, so gain in indirect cost. What is he talking about? Where does Where is that evidence? And Robert Kemp rightly asks, uh, is it definitely less hospitalization? And what was the reason for hospitalization? What's going on? Docetaxel is not a hospitalized drug. It's a drug you get and you go home. So we've already sort of hit some of the key limitations of this. We've already published in Translational Oncology, Satorosib and KRAS G12C, mutated lung cancer, can we rule out cracking KRAS led to worse survival? Now, that is going to be the real mystery. Actually, this whole trial may be obfuscating the fact that giving Sotorosib when they give it might even result in a survival decrement. Yes, the way they've designed it is in a way. There may even be a decrement they don't even see. Okay, I think I have like seven or eight points about why this is like a horrific trial. Let's get into it. One, this is a figure from our paper kind of elucidate some of these things. We got an issue with crossover. There's a late amendment that permitted crossover. The sample size has been cleaved in half. That's a late amendment. Quality of life data is very limited. There's informative censoring going on on PFS and both quality of life and PFS are being censored. Um, there's a substandard control arm. We have early dropout because it's open label. They got so many problems. I even think this incompetent FDA and they're so bad. All they do is just rubber stamp drugs, and then the reviewers who work there go work at Merck and Pfizer, they, and then new reviewers come in and rubber stamp drugs, and then they go to work at Merck and Pfizer and get some new reviewers out of fellowship. As bad as they are, I think even they are going to have to reject this because of this one problem in this study, okay? I got you. And if they want to stick to precedent, they're going to have a big problem here. We'll come to it. Number one, 
The control arm is docetaxel, not docetaxel ramucirumab. If we're playing in the sandbox of marginal drugs, then how do you justify not giving ramucirumab? Ramucirumab, when added to docetaxel, has a 1.5 month PFS benefit. You know what that is? That's 0.4 months better than you. And it has a 1.4 month OS benefit. So if you just went up against taxol ram, docetaxel ram, taxotere ram, you're going to be losing in PFS and losing in OS. What are you talking about? You're done. Your control arm is substandard. You knew these results at the time of the study. You're playing games in your introduction saying that you can't do this if somebody's 66 years old. That's not true. You can do it if they're 60. Who, who, who taught you that? Where you learn how to practice? That's ridiculous. Of course, substandard control arm. Problem number one. Problem number two, you change the power calc. You keep saying we're not powered for OS, we're not powered for OS. Initially, the study planned to enroll, this is you, enroll 650 patients and powered for PFS and OS. Following the observed clinical benefits of sotrazorthib in code break 100, there were no clinical benefits. You're lying about that. We're going to come to that. And per regulatory feedback, protocol was amended in February to decrease sample size to 330. So it's only powered for PFS. You took away the power to look at OS, and now you say we don't have any power. Are you out of your goddamn mind? Who are you tricking? Who are you tricking with this? I know you re reduced the power. And ironically, it worked to help you because not with this lower power, of course, you can say, well, we couldn't be expected to get an OS. But also, if your drug is actually resulting in a slightly higher casualty rate, you can hide that because there's no power to detect a survival decrement either. There's no power to detect that either. And crossover is going to exacerbate that problem because at the same time, you add crossover. And at the end of this video, I'm going to add on a little 10 minutes where I explain crossover. When is it necessary? When isn't it? There's so much conceptual lack of clarity here. This is all based on something that Alison Haslam and I wrote, I think in 2016 in the Annals of Oncology, and then it was also codified in the book Malignant. It's a way to think about crossover that will help you. All right. You change the power calc. You are the reason why. Here's a lie. Quote, manuscript. We previously showed that phase two code break 100, so Taurusib has clinical efficacy when used as monotherapy. It has an overall response rate at 37%, PFS of 6.8 months and 12.5 months, and all those numbers are shorter here. Um, does that show clinical efficacy? Hmm. Are any of those numbers proof that people live longer or live better? No. Code break 100 only showed clinical activity. See, if you're an oncologist, you got to know the difference between activity and efficacy. Activity is measure of tumor shrinkage. Does it shrink? Does the time to progression stay is longer? Those are measures of activity, the intrinsic anti-tumor effects of the drug. Efficacy is living longer, survival, health-related quality of life over time, the duration of the journey without censoring, too much censoring along the way. Okay, that's efficacy. If you confuse activity and efficacy, you're going to be a bad doctor. You're not going to know what matters to people. You're going to falsely counsel them about products. Codebreak 100 showed activity. It didn't show efficacy. Didn't even try to show efficacy. You need a control arm to show efficacy. And as a result, you shouldn't have powered down your study. You powered down the study, and now we have trash. Informed of censoring. <laughs> the more I read the manuscript and thought about this, you're going to have a hard time. I mean, even this broken FDA might, might have the courage to push back on you on this because you've got a big problem with censoring. Why do we run randomized studies? Why don't we just say, you know, you guys treated some people with sotorosib and I, I'd use docetax on my clinic. Let's just compare the outcomes. And then we would say, well, like, look, oh, Dr. Prasad, you work in a um, 
county hospital where people often don't have insurance and you work in, you know, city of cash where everyone has seven types of insurance and they fly on a private jet. And there might be some differences in our patient populations besides the use of Sertorosib and Taxol. You're caring for indigent, vulnerable populations. We're caring for people who are putting their names on buildings. Okay, you know, those kinds of differences. So that's why we do randomized trials because randomization distributes known and unknown confounders. It equilibrates outcomes distributions in the absence of a therapeutic effect. Now, what happens to a randomized study if in one arm of the study, a huge chunk of people drop out? Well, it depends. Are the people who drop out the same as those who stay? Or are they different? In what ways are they different? There are ways you measure, but there are also unknown ways you, you don't measure. They could be dropping out in unknown ways you don't measure. And so you really don't know which direction are they going. We will, we will visit. <clears throat> In our paper with Timothy Olivier and I, we reconstructed using individual patient level data from sort of commercially or some website available screen grab technology. And we said that, hey, it looks like a lot more people on the docetaxel arm are dropping out early than the sotorosib arm. And those people are probably not dropping out at random. They're probably dropping out due to disappointment. So they may be healthier and wealthier than the people who stay. And if they are, by including them, you may have actually pulled up the average on the tax alarm. And here's what, oh, I'm going backwards. <clears throat> and they concede there's a big imbalance in their study. It's open label. You know you're getting tax haul. And as soon as you tell some people are getting tax haul, 13%, 23% of the patients randomly assigned to dose of tax group, they said, to hell with you. Before they even got the tax haul. They said, I didn't get Sotorosib. You can take your trial with your crappy control arm and you can shove it. I'm out. 13% of people are already out. Maybe you should add the RAM. Hmm? Maybe now the RAM doesn't look so bad, huh? 21 withdrew within the first two weeks of randomization. You're losing a lot of people, okay? You're losing a lot of people. And I think it's all patient disappointment. And that's really bad. Maybe you should have done placebo-controlled, double-dummy sort of study design. And if you look at the Kaplan-Meier curves, the Lancet, thanks to work by Tito Fojo to petition them to do this, they now report the number of people censored at every time interval. And so we've been able to do some work with that data. And as you can see clearly, a lot more people are censored on docetaxel than sotorosib. The people who withdrew before receiving docetaxel, they say we're more likely to have a history of CNS involvement, be refractory to previous therapy, and have an ECOG performance status of one. But it's hard to know exactly. These numbers are small. And having more likely to have a history of CNS involvement may also be associated with you just had way more scans. So they're trying to paint the picture that the people who dropped out are sicker, I think. But really, what it really paints the picture is the people who drop out are different. They're different, and you're only measuring some covariates. And the moment they're different is, what does it do to randomization? It's not a randomized trial anymore. Your dropout rate is so high, it's not a randomized trial anymore. It's a study of people who chose to stick with docetaxel and people who chose to stick with sotorosib, and a lot more people chose to stick with it. You've lost a lot of people, and it's not at random. They're important covariates. And if I were to guess, the people who are dropping out and throwing your trial in your face, those aren't going to be the uninsured people, the people who lack health literacy. It's going to be somebody who's super health literate, who knows docetaxel, or they think, or they're led to believe, or they're trained. They think it's trash, they don't want it, and they want to move on to a new trial. They have the resources, and they don't care. 
Whereas somebody who really needs a drug right now, they're not going to drop out. And so I think, I think this bias is a huge problem. This is a study that Kate Rosen, Emerson Chen, and I did, where we looked at all randomized control trials that had available data. This is not reconstructed data. This is real data, early versus late, differential censoring. Which arm has more censoring? On the left, each dot is a trial. Those are trials where the intervention arm had more early censoring. Why might that be? Probably that is an extremely toxic regimen, and so people dropped it for toxicity. They were censored at further time points. That's on the left. Okay, on the right, more control arm censoring. And these are early time points. And we show the weighted average across all the studies in the Lancet journals is 0.32. What does that mean? That is patient disappointment. That's the average effect of people not being happy with being assigned to the control group. So we expect to get a little bit more dropout on the control arms, but not as much as they got. How much did they get in the trial? There's one data point all the way out there on the right. I'm going to circle it. All the way out there. What the hell is that? That's a trial that got presented at the ODAC, and the FDA said no go because you had too much informative censoring. And that drug was quizartinib. That was the quizartinib ODAC, wasn't it? Mm, you didn't get that approval, did you? Mm -mm, you got too much censoring, and so it's not really a randomized trial no more. And guess where this trial comes? Boom! It's right out there. Your buddy-buddy with quizartinib. And I think that maybe even this incompetent FDA will throw you out for having that much censoring. You got to worry about that, Amgen. You're not going to be able to correct for that with any statistical technique. And you can keep claiming that those people who quit are sicker, but I don't think they're sicker. I think in many ways, they may be the most well-off people who threw this trial protocol right back in your face. Maybe you should add to that RAM. Just saying, might have helped you out there. Crossover. Crossover from docetaxel sotorosib occurred in 26% of patients. It's a very small amount, you know, but it cuts both ways. It can mean on one hand, the absence of finding an OS benefit is, is masked to some minor degree by having crossover. It can also mean the absence of an OS decrement is masked by two things, having crossover and by reducing your sample size, which would hide the ability to see any difference in OS. So that we're going to talk about at the end. It says this weird thing in the manuscript. It said that because OS is negative, per statistical analysis plan, we did no further statistical testing on PROs. Then they go on to show you some quality of life data. And then I read the protocol in the statistical plan, which I think has got to be not the full version of it, but it actually says nothing of the sort. So if somebody's out there listening to this, can you explain to me why in the manuscript it says, quote, as per the statistical analysis plan, we did no further statistical testing on PROs in the OS is null section? Why does it say that? And where does it say that in the protocol? I read the protocol. I didn't find that. So that's a question for the audience. Toxicity. They keep saying it's less toxic. Let's talk, what's less toxic about it? Uh, Sertorosib, 41% diarrhea versus 25%. 26% nausea, slightly more decreased appetite. What, what exactly, what is better about it? Pray tell. And you take it every day forever rather than a drug given every three weeks. You know, so I think if anything... A little surprised by those numbers. A better way, another way, a complementary way to look at tolerability is to look at dose interruptions, discontinuations, and reductions. And by this metric, 36% interrupt sotorosib. That don't sound good if it's going down so silky smooth. Why are they stopping? 15% reduce the dose and 10% discontinue. I suspect the reason 
and these are people who really probably don't want to reduce the dose. Docetaxel, 15% interrupt is a lot less, but they do have 27% dose reductions and 11% discontinuations. I don't know. I mean, it seems to me like there's not a clear winner or loser here. I don't know about you, if anyone feels more strongly. Um, it's hard to say, but looking at these results, I'm not necessarily concluding Sotorcib is more tolerable, better toxicity, I'm going to do better. I'm not feeling that. Grade 5 treatment emergent adverse events, 22%, and dosotaxel is 12. That's the grade 5 events. Now, if I were to recall, grade 5, higher numbers are not good, and grade 5 events are not good events. And you don't want them to be falling disproportionately on your drug. And they do some weird thing where they correct it for person time on drug. That's not how you should be treating adverse events which have a different mm, idiosyncrasy they're different, they're idiosyncratic, and they're not always dependent on time and time on drug. Um, and, and so I don't think that the right answer is to divide by time on drug. Uh, I, I think that that's, that's quite different um, for things that may be entirely idiosyncratic and occur a lot more early than late, for instance. Now, quality of life. All the quality of life you read here is entirely unreliable. It's based solely on the fraction of people who are completing the questionnaires. But we already know we have hemorrhaged people. There's an imbalance on the docetaxel arm. And you're left with the people who they have no other option but to stay on your trial. The people who have other options, who can go to other cancer centers, they told you to go to hell. And you're left with the people who have no other option. And so quality of life and PFFs and OS are all going to be based on a non-random non sample. It's not randomized anymore. And so your quality of life is unreliable. So here's what they show. They show like, oh, global health status is worse with Taxol. Physical function is worse. Dyspnea is worse. I mean, they're cherry picking sort of secondary things. Um, and, you know, things look better with Sotorosib. But again, this is not everybody. And they're only measuring a tiny snapshot of the cancer journey. Oh, one more thing I want to say. And this is another listener question. I looked through the protocol. Okay, if you find the answer to this, I'm really going to, I don't know, I'll give you a plenary session mug when we, when we eventually make them, but we don't have any right now, but I'll give you one. Okay. The EQ5D5L will be completed at screening, in clinic, clinic visit days, and at home by phone. If you give somebody a drug that's a pill that they take every day that makes them feel crappy, they feel as crappy on Monday as on Sunday. And so you can do quality life on any day. It's going to be as crappy on Mondays and Sunday. They're just taking it indefinitely forever. If you give somebody a cyclical chemotherapy drug like Taxol, they're going to feel okay for maybe 12 to 14 hours. Minor the inconvenience of having come in to get the infusion. That's not fun. And pay for parking. God help us. It's parking. Ridiculous. Then, go maybe go a day. Then they're going to start to feel crummy, 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 crummy. Then they're going to start to feel better, better, better. And then the last week before they get the next treatment, they're going to feel as good as they feel. When are they administering the questionnaire? When are they making those phone calls? I bet, I bet they are calling them when you're in the worst of the worst for docetaxel, and which is a random day of sotorosib. I bet they're purposely picking time points that make docetaxel look bad and sotorosib look good. And couple that with the informative censoring, couple that with it's an open label design, and you know there's rip-roaring disappointment in the control arm community. How do you know that? You know that because 20% of them told you to go go to hell, and they threw the protocol in your face and left. 
So all that is going into their psychological makeup when they're reporting these quality of life questionnaires. And I bet they're doing it on a day or dose of taxol does worse. And they say that these are the days, but it's a little bit, it's very vague, I think. It's a little vaguer. And what are the clinic visit days? So if somebody goes through this protocol and can figure it out for me and tell me if I'm right in my supposition or if I'm wrong, but either way, even if I'm wrong about the days, they still have all the other problems. But I think they're probably doing that game too. And we, I know that game. GSK did that game, Pazopinib Sutent, non-inferiority study many years ago. I know the game. I've been around the block, okay? I know these games. The imbalance in drive. This is how they write. In the, the, this is what gets me. They know. They know they've bungled their whole study. And this is why I said at the outset they should have aborted the study. The moment they had the dropout rate so high, they know they're not running a randomized trial anymore. And instead of downthrottle your OS signal and like put all your marbles on a one-month PFS, put all your poker chips on a one-month PFS benefit, you should just abort the trial. You're not running a randomized study. This is what they say. The imbalance in dropout rates between treatment groups is a limitation due to the open-label design of the study. Okay, they know that much. In the intention-to-treat analysis for survival, among patients in the docetaxel group who did not receive treatment, five died and 17 were censored. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Ad um, and then they say, additionally, blah, 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 received a care. Okay, crossover. Then they say this. Given these limitations, one cannot make a conclusion on overall survival benefit with sotorosib. But what they needed to also say is, given these limitations, one cannot make a conclusion about either the PFS and the quality of life. You can't conclude on any of that because you've subverted randomization. They say they had a poor prognosis, okay, but they're only looking at a certain covariates and not looking at all the covariates. Let us have all the covariates. Or tell me what the, the survival time was of these people. They went off study. What is their survival time? You don't need them to be on trial to get that. You can actually go to databases, social security, look up their numbers and figure out how long they lived. You get less censoring typically with OS. Tell me what happened to these people. I, I think this is, the, this is the crux of the issue. Back to quality of life. One of the other ways in which this is a deficient study is that we're not even, we're talking about quality of life for 12 weeks. These are people who are going to live 10 months. We need to capture the cumulative quality of life experience because when you come off of Sotorosib, what's your quality of life afterwards? What do you get next? All that counts because we're testing the strategy. Sotorosib, versus docetaxel, and everything that thereafter follows. In this paper that I did with Allison Haslam, we looked at all these different trials and we measured the amount of time, that's the long bar, we could have captured quality of life, and then the short bar is how much we did capture quality of life. And you can see it's just a tiny fraction. Quality of life in a short term, when we're talking about a marathon, is ridiculous. I mean, 10 months doesn't seem that long, but we're only measuring it for 12 weeks, three months of it. So we're the most, most of the time is unmeasured, for Christ's sakes. It would literally be like studying the quality of life of the first three miles of a marathon. And then afterwards, you don't know how many blisters they have on mile 15 and whether or not they keeled over vomiting afterwards. All that counts. Okay, now you can pause. I think those are the biggest problems. It's not a randomized study. There's too much dropout. They, de they depowered their own study. They inserted crossover, as I'm about to show you wrongly. Their control arm is negligent. It should have been docetaxel ram. Patients knew it was negligent. They knew they were getting a raw deal. That's why they threw the, the book at them. Those people are not likely to be random people, and I doubt that they actually have a poor prognosis. I bet they're more 
financially and socially aware. And even though they have those other variables that appeared poor, there are other covariates that they're not talking about or not mentioning that actually are in their favor because they get to cherry pick whatever covariates they want to tell me. I mean, obviously, this is what I would do if I worked for the company. First thing I'd say is like, find me a few covariates that look worse about those people who drop out. We need that to tell our story, but I'm sure I'd be able to find more covariates that look good. And the reality is the person who's desperate, who has no other options, will be sticking around more than the person who's got the jet to go to the next trial. That's what I think happened. Either way, even if you don't account for any of those, the PFS raw difference is 1.1 months, which we as a profession should be above, and the OS is null. Okay, so put aside all my concerns. The net result, even if you take this on face value, is this is garbage. We're paying $15,000 a month for no survival benefit, but if you add in all my concerns, I think it's actually worse than that. You're paying money for something that probably doesn't improve survival and may even shorten your life than had you just get docetaxel and ramucirumab and then other drugs. This is garbage, and you're just drawn in by sexy cartoons and payments from the drug company, which is what's really greasing the wheel, getting this thing going down. Okay, so I'm going to pause. See you, those tax all people. See you, see you, so Taurus and people. Now, crossover. Why is crossover misused? This is a framework that Allison Haslam and I have first articulated in Annals of Oncology, and then it's codified in the book Malignant. You should read that book. What is crossover? Crossover means different things in different contexts, and psychiatry typically means you get everyone take SS, you get randomized trial, people take SSRI and placebo. There's a two week washout period, then they take the opposite, and now we can do both between arm comparisons and intra-individual comparisons to prove in two ways whether or not SSRIs are better than placebo. But in oncology, we don't have a lot of short-term, measurable, reversible endpoints. We have irreversible milestones on a journey of cancer. And our crossover typically means something different. It means we randomize people to drug or placebo, and we have unidirectional crossover from placebo to drug or standard of care to drug. But put another way, what it means is when you progress on a drug, you get standard of care. And when you progress on placebo, you get the experimental drug. And then only then when you progress again, you get standard of care. That's what it means. <clears throat> the reason there's a lot of confusion around this is I think we forget there's situations where crossover is desirable. You really want it. You really need it. And the situations where it's undesirable, you don't want it. You don't need it. Please, God, don't change your protocol and add it in. And then there's situations where you have it and you don't have it. And for that reason, you get a four by four table. If you want it and you get it, it's good. And if you don't want it, you don't get it, that's good. But if you want it, and you don't get it, that's bad. And if you don't want it, and you get it, that's bad. So we get a four by four table. Very simple, very simple stuff. This is how you gotta think about it. Where does this study fall? Well, we know they modified it to have crossover. But what we don't know right now is whether it was desirable or undesirable. I've hinted what the answer is, but let me prove it to you. Let's first take an example. Gosh, I that should say sepalusalty. <laughs> I have given this talk so many times, and every time I say I'm going to fix this damn slide, and I never fix it, why? All right, it should say sipilusalty. This is a very famous study. It's about a cancer therapeutic vaccine. It's different than other vaccines. Most vaccines work by preventing you from getting um, the illness in the first place. Well, some, some of them don't do that, but uh, that's a separate issue. That's a separate issue. We'll put that aside. Okay, like the HPV vaccine is an anti-cancer vaccine. Why? It prevents you from getting HPV, certain strains, and then you're less likely to get cancer. Okay, we all get that. This is a cancer therapeutic vaccine. It's a very different style, very different sort of thing. It's we take somebody who has cancer, we collect some cell out of them or collect a piece of the cancer, we find a way to create some sort of immunogenic stimulant outside in the laboratory, we inject them with that, we hope their own body is revved up to fight their own cancer. We've been doing it for 40 years. And in 40 years, we just got nothing but failures. Failure, 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 failure. GVAX, Bavarian Nordic, 
just went belly up, just belly up. Failure, 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 failure. We got one success, simple little tea, okay, for cancer-resistant prostate cancer. This is an example that I first noticed and I you know, put in a paper, Mayo Clinic Proceedings, maybe about seven, eight years ago, and it's in the book, Malignant. Okay, this is the impact study. <clears throat> Castor-resistant prostate cancer, randomized to placebo injection or cipolucyl T. The primary endpoint is overall survival, and there's the old saying, if you can fit a laser pointer between the curves, you can give the plenary to ASCO, and my friends, you can fit at least two laser pointers right here. Get a four-month benefit. It looks really, really good. But, you know, there's something curious about it. It's the only cancer therapy vaccine in history to be approved. Every other one failed, but this one worked. So the pretest probability cancer therapeutic vaccine works is super low, but this working is, it seems to improve survival. That's a clinical efficacy endpoint. How can I complain about survival? I like survival, but there was no response. Very odd, huh? A drug that has a 0% response rate and there was no change in time to progression. So what does it do? You inject it and it just like lies low. It doesn't want to show anybody it's doing anything. No, I don't want to shrink that tumor. I don't want to change the time the tumor grows or people will figure out I'm doing something. But then once the tumor grows, it just pounds that tumor and says, no, don't grow, don't grow. And you get the four-month OS benefit. Is that, is that plausible? Is that really what it's doing? It's lying low? Why? Why is it doing that? I think it's quite implausible. It's the only one of its class ever to work and they all fail. Weird. It doesn't do anything, has no activity, which is usually a prerequisite for efficacy. Just because you have activity doesn't mean you have efficacy, but without activity, you usually are total trash. <laughs> and it has a four-month OS gain. Very fishy. Remember, metastatic castor resistant, that should be an R, prostate cancer, randomized cipolucyl T or placebo. When patients progress on cipolucyl T, what do they get? When they progress on placebo, what they get? You know, they have crossover in this study. They have it. So when you progress on placebo, you get cipolucyl T. When you progress on cipolucyl T, you get docetaxel. And the funny thing about docetaxel is it's an incredibly good prostate cancer drug. It improves survival in almost every single study it's ever been tested in. And then if you progress again on cipolucyl T, you get docetaxel. So now it's a trial of both a vaccine of a class that's only failed and also a trial of early versus delayed docetaxel, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of a problem. And if you read the fine print of the paper, you'll find that 57% get docetaxel and 50% get it here, and they get it after 12 months here, and they get it after 14 months here. And so it's an imbalance in two things. So what's more likely that this cancer vaccine, the only one ever in human history, lies low, doesn't shrink tumor, doesn't change the time to progression, but improves survival, or the reason there's a survival benefit in the absence of all those other metrics of activity for a drug class that only ever fails is because you have a delay in docetaxel. And that's why the AHRQ, the Agency of Healthcare Research Quality, says we cannot exclude the fact that a survival benefit in the absence of response rate or PFS is actually due to harm to the control group from a delay in chemotherapy due to getting an ineffective frozen salvage product. That's their words, not mine. So this is a great example of a trial that has crossover, but you didn't want it because the trial was testing the fundamental efficacy of the product. You wanted to know if the product could improve survival. And sotorosib, although it does have some activity, faces the same question because it's not, it doesn't have a 90% response rate and the duration of response isn't that good. And it was tested in a small ultra-select Codebreak 100 cohort, which you can already see the cross-trial comparison, Codebreak 100, 200, looks like it's worse, looking worse. And that's like all the selection biases that go into phase two studies. Codebreak 200 is this trial where crossover was undesirable because you really want to know the fundamental efficacy of the product. And by having crossover, just like cipolucyl T, if there is a survival benefit, you don't know if that's due to your drug or 
discrepancies in post-protocol care. And if there isn't a survival benefit, you don't know if your drug actually would have improved survival, would have had the same survival, or would have had a survival decrement. You don't know that because you've never established fundamental efficacy. You see, that's the problem. With Cebusal T, Cobra 200, you didn't want crossover. This trial was seeking to establish the fundamental proof of efficacy, and that's why you need to know the difference between activity and efficacy. You had established activity. You never had established efficacy. You don't want crossover, and now you've muddied the water. You've downthrottled your power. I have no clue if your drug would have saved lives, doesn't save lives, or kills people. I have no clue, okay? Very quickly, let's do the other side. Where is crossover desirable? Many years ago, this was stampede in latitude, cash-resensitive prostate cancer. We add in abiraterone to placebo, and we find there's a survival benefit. But of course, famously, we had already been giving abiraterone and enzalutamide for people with cash-resistant prostate cancer, both post-dosotaxel and then pre-dosotaxel. And so this letter was written by Johan de Bono and colleagues. Quote, before latitude and stampede, the standard of care for patients with advanced prostate cancer included sequential androgen suppression with various life prolonging therapies. However, the controls of stampede and latitude were not designed to include the current sequential standard of care. These treatments were not specified in the protocols. This is critical since the majority of men in the control groups of stampede and latitude died without exposure to abiraterone or enzalutamide. Thus, the drugs used in the control groups were inconsistent with the current prevailing standards of care. This has implications for the conclusions of the trial and raises questions regarding whether or not there was a benefit to all participants. In other words, you proved that docetaxel early is better, or sorry, abiraterone early is better than abiraterone never. But the problem is in my clinic, I don't give abiraterone never, I give abiraterone later. So you didn't prove early is better than later. So your trial is garbage because they needed to have crossover. And this is a problem across all the checkpoint inhibitor studies that seek to move to the front line. This is a paper by Ashray Maniar and myself in European Journal of Cancer. The dark bar are the control arms of all these checkpoint trials that try to move the checkpoint early when we already give the checkpoint late. And that dark bar is the control arm patients, what percent of them eventually get a checkpoint inhibitor. And it should be as close to 100% as possible. And as you can see, it ain't. Because in many of these trials, these are trials of early versus never. Keynote 48, garbage. Keynote 177, garbage. Uh, Javelin 100 bladder, garbage. Javelin 100 renal, blat, garbage, garbage, garbage. You are not testing the right question. Do you need Avalumab maintenance or can you get the same OS by giving people Pembro later? You're not testing the right question. And I don't follow your terrible study because it does not actually answer my clinical question. Crossover is necessary in trials where the standard of care is already Pembro second line. And why is it Pembro second line and head and neck cancer? Because you've already shown a clinical efficacy was already demonstrated in the second line Pembro versus dealer's choice chemotherapy, although it was a it was a smaller list of dealer's choice that was already established. And so Pembro was already second line. You'd already established efficacy. Back to our figure. Crossover is desirable in situations where you're assessing fundamental efficacy. Uh, and sorry, it's undesirable fundamental efficacy. It's desirable when a drug already has a role in the latter line. Efficacy is already established and you're moving it up front. And that's what people don't recognize. All right, I'm gonna stop this. So, <clears throat> code break 200, miserable study. I mean, at face value, it's a failure. One month PFS, no OS. If you dive into it even a little bit, you see the horrific dropout on the control arm means it's not a randomized trial. 
It's not randomized. What's the point of randomizing when you're losing so many people? You can tell yourself a story that the people leaving are the ones with all the brain math. They're leaving, you know, all the ones with a really bad prognosis and socioeconomically poor off. No, you're picking covariates, but the people leaving are the ones with the most other options. I'm pretty sure that's typically the way it works. Patient disappointment. Rich people are allowed to be more disappointed than poorer people and vulnerable people. So either way, you've already proven that they're different people. Randomization is thwarted. You're done. PFS is suspect, quality of life, suspect. I suspect you're playing games with the day you're asking that question. OS, total wash. You downthrottled your study in power. You inserted crossover. You could be hiding some trouble. Read the paper by Olivier and myself. Read the paper by Haslam and myself on health related quality of life. Read the Rosen paper on censoring over time. Watch some of my other videos where I spend more time talking about crossover. There are more intricacies that I didn't get into here. Um, this is plenary session. That's what you get. Read the book, Malignant. I don't know what else to tell you. All right. You know what to do. You like this video, like, subscribe, comment, leave a message. If you're listening to the Plenary Session audio feed, you know, there are videos I'm putting out that I don't put on the audio feed. You're missing out, okay? There's some fun ones there. Um, I'm trying to keep your audio feed mostly 99.9% .9 oncology the way you want. Uh, support us on Patreon. Leave us a review, like type your words into the review and let us know what you think on uh, iTunes and whatever podcast store you listen to this on. And, um, and if you haven't listened to the audiobook, Malignant, what are you waiting for? I mean, you could, I mean, I just don't, I don't, I just don't understand. I mean, I used to, when I was learning oncology, I was like, I would have killed for anyone to tell me anything interesting on oncology. And I read a lot of books that I thought, you know, that even had the word cancer in it just because, you know, you want to read something. All right. Like, subscribe, comment, leave a message below. Audio feed people, you missed a ton of slides. Check out the video. Until next time.